Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, I Am Jonah. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. In 1974, our country was still recovering from the Vietnam War the Watergate scandal, and reeling from a global oil crisis. Fuel prices had quadrupled in a matter of months. Fuel rationing was implemented by our government, and a national speed limit of 55 miles per hour was passed into law. It was a season in our nation's history in which all the bad news on the nightly news made Americans so desperate for some good news that all they wanted to do was to escape. Working class Americans weren't the only ones desperate for change though. So was a 24 year old young artist trying to make his way in the world named Bruce Springsteen and his E Street Band. With their first two albums having been commercial flops, Columbia Records was pressuring Springsteen and his band to produce a hit. The next record needed to sell well or the band wasn't gonna be making any money or any living making music. Change finally came when the band's manager handed out a rough cut of the single Born to Run to select disc jockeys around the country in order to tease the release of Springsteen's third album. Within weeks, the song became a hit, and as radio stations responded to listener requests to play the tune more and more, young adults overwhelmed record stores with requests for the copies of the single. Where is this song? We keep hearing on the radio. We want to buy it. And yet, record stores didn't have copies of it. With its blend of energetic horns, keys, guitars, and drums, Born to Run became a working class anthem for teenagers longing to escape from their hometown and adults weary from the daily grind of work. Springsteen writes in the chorus, we gotta get out while we're young, cause tramps like us, baby, we were born to run. The Lord says in his word that we were all born to run away from God. We have inherited a sin nature that makes us prone to rebel like a toddler against the loving creator that gave us life, just so we can make a mess of the life that we've been given. We're kicking off a new teaching series this morning in the book of Jonah called I Am Jonah. We're going to be learning about a man named Jonah that, well, just like us, was born to run. But the Lord graciously, gently, and firmly works with him and works in his life to get him back into a right relationship with God. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Jonah chapter 1 and to pull out a the sermon notes that are in your worship folder that you received when you came in this morning, so you can follow along with me. If you need to borrow a Bible, you forgot yours, just raise your hand. We can loan you one. One of our ushers will bring you one. We want you to have a copy of God's Word so that you can follow along with me. A little bit of background as you turn there. uh, Let me just fill you in on some context on Jonah and who he was and when the book was written. Uh, Jonah served as a prophet for the Lord uh, under King Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel around 793 to 753 BC. Uh, Israel was so spiritually bankrupt in that season of history at the time, uh, because because they were so spiritually bankrupt at the time, the Lord sent two additional prophets named Amos and Hosea to also preach repentance to them. So it was a three-prophet season of history. Not one, but they needed three to hit them on all sides to bring them to repentance. The book of Jonah 
is different, however, from other prophetic books in, in that it describes one of God's prophets being dispatched to a foreign nation to preach, whereas most prophets, the, all the other ones, they were dispatched to preach to Israel. Uh, another thing that makes Jonah relatable but also unique is that he's the only prophet in Scripture that tries to run from God. The rest of the Lord's prophets obeyed when they were given an assignment by him. Now, when most people think of the book of Jonah, they think of children's Sunday school, and they think of the characters like Jonah himself, who's mentioned 18 times in the book. Or they think of the large fish or the whale, who is mentioned only four times. Or they may think of Nineveh. A lot of people have heard of Nineveh which is mentioned nine times. However, the main character in the story, the star of this film, is the Lord. As the star of the story, the Lord is mentioned 38 times in just four chapters of this short book. If you look at your Bible also, you'll notice in chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord, the star of the story, has the first words, in the book. And then if you just flip the page and you look at the last verse of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord has the last word in the book as well. This too is unique compared to the other books in the Bible. The key verse in our series is chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, I like to use key verses to kind of help tie together uh, the theme, the major theme of the book, whenever I preach through a book of the Bible. And then I like to tie all the messages back into that theme verse. And I think it's a good chance for us to work on learning Scripture together. So um, we're going to review this key verse each week during this short series. Uh, we'll put it on the screen behind me so we can read it out loud together in the NIV translation. Um, let's uh, join me, if you would, as I read it. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Uh, we're going to look at that particular passage next week. That's where Jonah repents, and that's a commitment that he makes to the Lord based on uh, what he ends up going through. What the Lord tries to show Jonah, and I think Jonah ends up learning, is that obedience to the Lord brings blessing, but rebellion brings discipline. And it's because God loves his people that he does that. Here's the big idea that I hope you'll take away from today, the sermon in a sentence, and that is obey right away because God always gets his way. Now, it sounds trite and it sounds cute, and I've done that on purpose because I'm hoping you'll remember it and never forget that saying. Maybe you'll even take it and adapt it in your parenting at home. Obey right away because mom and dad always get their way. I mean, there's... Well, nah, don't do that. But you get my point. I want it to stick in your head. So uh, if you would, after you write that down, look at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 as I begin reading. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here's point number one on your outline, the first truth that we can take away from this, this uh, chapter, and that is that the Lord sometimes makes inconvenient calls. He sometimes makes inconvenient calls. In fact, it could be argued that he all the time calls when it's inconvenient. Arise and go. The verb construction in the Hebrew text, uh, it creates an urgent command. It, it, it could be best rendered, go immediately right now. Don't put it off. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't take a nap. Don't do what you want to do first. Go now to Nineveh. Well, what is Nineveh, this great city? Well, shortly after Jonah's ministry, uh, Nineveh became the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Thus, it was a city on its way up at the time. It was growing and gaining influence in the region. It was located 550 miles east of northern Israel on the Tigris River in what is now uh, called modern-day Iraq. Nineveh was believed to have been two miles in diameter with a total population, including its suburbs, 
between 300,000 to 600,000 people. Many perceived it to be impenetrable because uh, Nineveh was surrounded by a wall that was 50 feet wide and 100 feet high. This was a formidable city, an impressive city for that time, and quite large for that time as well. So God says, call out against it. The Hebrew text describes the announcing of judgment or the denouncement of sin. Uh, People need to be confronted uh, with their sin because they sometimes don't realize that they are sinning. And in addition to the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit can't get through to people. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But sometimes the Holy Spirit convicting someone of himself of someone's sin isn't enough to get their attention. So the Lord has to send a person to also confront them. And I think the Lord does this because he wants to do something in the messenger as well as the offender. The Lord says, for their evil has come up before me. It it paints the imagery of it's in front of my face and I can't stand it. I want to deal with it and do something about it. But you need to know this about the Assyrians. They were violent enemies of Israel, known for their wartime atrocities. They were one of the most vile, brutal, powerful, and idolatrous empires that our world has ever seen in history. Their kings boasted so much about their power and boasted about mutilating the bodies of live captives that the prophet Nahum called Nineveh, quote, the city of blood. Imagine if the Lord had called you to go preach the gospel to the Russians during the Cold War, at the height of communism's fear. Or maybe the Lord calling you to go preach the gospel to a terrorist group like ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Or perhaps, what if the Lord dispatched you to go preach the gospel to the drunk driver that killed your only child? Or the coworker with whom your spouse committed adultery. That's what's happening here. You need to know that this was not some student mission trip to do a vacation Bible school at the picturesque and peaceful country of Switzerland. That's not what the Lord was asking Jonah to do here. He was saying, I want you to go preach repentance and forgiveness in me, to the people that have harmed and killed some of your relatives, friends, and ancestors. Oh, and you might die too. And they love to torture people and then boast about it. This was an inconvenient call, to say the least. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? We want to be doers of God's word here at Vanguard because... The Lord promises blessings from applying and obeying his word. So here's an application that comes to mind. Offer your unconditional surrender daily to the Lord. Offer your unconditional surrender to the Lord daily. I don't know why this is, well, I have some theories as to why this has changed, but it shouldn't. But in recent years, it seems to have changed where Surrender to the Lord for Christ followers has become optional. But what you need to know is that the normative expectation of Jesus Christ is that his followers would be willing to go anywhere he tells us to go, say whatever he wants us to say, and do whatever he wants us to do. That's why he is called Lord. Kyrios in the Greek New Testament. Master where he calls the shots, and those that have trusted in Christ alone for salvation do what he says. He will not hesitate to tell us to love people we don't want to love, to serve when it's inconvenient to serve, or to live where we don't want to live, or to share the gospel with people that, honestly, we would prefer rotten hell. That's, that's, but the Lord will call us sometimes to do things like that. And he has every right to demand such allegiance in exchange 
for what he's done for us. If you're not willing to be inconvenienced by the Lord, then your relationship with him probably hasn't changed you. And if you're not willing to be inconvenienced by the gospel, then the gospel probably hasn't changed you. Because what's interesting to me as I study the gospels is, is everybody that was changed by the gospel and changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ that encountered him were willing to do whatever he asked. They were willing to go wherever he told them to go, and they were willing to be inconvenienced by it. And there are some, possibly in this service or listening online, that need to do some serious business with the Lord on this topic of surrender. You think you have surrendered your life to Christ when in reality you have only offered conditional surrender. Your heart has told the Lord, I will do whatever you ask of me so long as it doesn't require me to change what I've already decided to do. Or, so long as you don't ask me to do something I don't want to do. Now, I'm saying this in love as your pastor. I'm deep concerned for you because you have no idea who you're messing with if you're playing those kind of games with the Lord. You have no idea who you're messing with. And as you will soon see, the Jonah story is not a child's Sunday school fable. It's real. So we should obey right away because God as you will soon see, always gets his way. Look at verse 3 with me. Uh, but Jonah, remember I said a few weeks ago in my previous series, whenever there's the conjunction but, that means something is about to be said that contradicts what was just said. So in verse 2, God says, go here. And it doesn't say, so Jonah went. <laughs> no. But Jonah, meaning Something different's coming. Well, what did he do? Well, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare, and he went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here's number two in your outline. Disobedience has dangerous side effects. Disobedience has dangerous side effects. As I said earlier, Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet that attempted to run from God. There are probably two reasons I can think of why he did this. First of all, the Assyrians had a track record of atrocities, of torturing people, and so he feared for his life. He may have been thinking, are you kidding, Lord? Do you know what they're going to do to me if I go there? Sorry, I'm not really interested in having my skin ripped off while I'm still alive. Or uh, he also might have been thinking, as you'll see in chapter 4 in a couple of weeks, that Jonah wanted the Assyrians to pay for their sins instead of being given the chance to repent and be forgiven by the Lord because of what the Assyrians had done to Jonah's people. He might have been thinking, Lord, do you have any idea what the Assyrians have done to our people? They need to pay for what they've done. I don't want them to repent and be forgiven. So Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. He flee to Tarshish, excuse me. You need to know this, a little geography for you. I've told you that Nineveh was 550 miles to the east. Well, Tarshish was a Phoenician port located 2,500 miles to the west. It was located in now what is called modern-day Spain. God had told Jonah to go east, but instead he chose to go as far west as a person could go back in those days because it was literally the edge of the earth back in the mid-700s B.C. Jonah, go to Nineveh that way. God, no, I'm going that way and I'm going as far as I can to get away. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Here's three side effects of sin. Three side effects of sin when we disobey or refuse the Lord's direction in our lives. We're choosing to suffer these three side effects. So this is A, B, and C on your outline. First of all, the loss of intimacy. The loss of intimacy. Notice in verse 3, it says that he went not just away from Nineveh, but away from the presence of the Lord. This phrase is mentioned two times in this verse, verse 3, and then a third time later in this chapter. This breaks the Lord's heart. Because when we sin, we forfeit intimacy with him in order to have independence from him. And that is exactly what the Lord doesn't want because one of the many, many reasons that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross is that so that he could be close to us. So when we sin, we're saying, I don't want to be close to you, Lord. And yet he has pursued us through Christ. Next, there's a hardened heart. Letter B is a hardened heart. It says Jonah was fast asleep, sleeping below deck on the boat while the mariners are fighting for their lives. It reveals how hard Jonah's heart had become. I think it's interesting, too, that these mariners, who were most likely seasoned sailors, are scared and panicking, so it reveals how bad the storm was, that this was not any normal storm. This was a really, really bad one. It would have been on the Weather Channel and all over the news stations and outlets, and there would have been breaking news, and your phone would be lighting up if it was happening today. So bad they had to throw cargo overboard. And yet Jonah is asleep. You know, when we fail to repent of sin quickly, the scriptures talk about a hardening of the heart that desensitizes us to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Here's a cross-reference you might want to jot down that you can look at later. Proverbs 28, verse 14. In Proverbs 28, 14, it says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. You probably have heard people say before that they, they know God wants them to do something because they prayed about it, they had peace about it. Or they know God wants them to go somewhere because I have peace about it in my heart, I prayed about it. But not only is this bad theology, it's also one of several points of irony in the Jonah story. And here's why. Notice that Jonah had peace while he was running from God. Sleep is the most peaceful state human beings can be in. He was in the middle of a storm caused by God because he was running from God, and he's sleeping. So peace is not always the lone metric we should be using that we're in God's will. Jonah was outside of God's will and at peace with it. Next, besides loss of intimacy and a hardened heart, here's another side effect of sin, and that is prayerlessness. We stop praying. Verse 6, the captain says, Arise and call out to your God. Another thing that happens when we run from God is that we stop praying. We don't want to talk to God. Jonah's hard heart made him not even want to talk to the Lord as the ship was going down. So here's another point of irony. There's at least four ironies that I found in this chapter. Here's another one. The unbelieving sailors were praying as the Lord's prophet was sleeping. The least expected people to pray. We're praying. 
and the one that should have been praying was sleeping. He should have been praying for God to save himself and the sailors. But instead, he probably said in his heart, I'm mad at you, God. I wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for you. But of course, you know as well as I do, the Lord would respond, no, you're in this situation because of you. So applications. Here's one. Deal quickly and decisively with sin in your life. Deal quickly and decisively with sin in your life. There is a propensity that we all have to procrastinate dealing with sin. We, we can rationalize it and put it off and, eh, it wasn't that bad. It was a little one. Or we, we, can, we can sort of crowd out the promptings of the Holy Spirit telling us, hey, that was wrong. You need to repent of that. You need to make that right. You need to go apologize to that person. Eh, eh. And the longer we put it off, we put it off, we put it off. Like a construction worker or an air traffic controller that fails to wear ear protection. A believer can lose his ability to hear the Holy Spirit's voice the more he ignores it. To become so calloused that you can no longer hear the voice of the one who loved you like no one else is a scary place to be. Scary. So deal quickly and decisively with sin because it has a, a deafening effect on our walk with the Lord. Look at verses 7 through 10 with me as we continue to work our way through the passage. And so they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from and what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Here's number three on your outline. Disobedience has widespread consequences. Disobedience has widespread consequences. They casted lots, these pagan mariners. Casting lots is something that shows up periodically in the scriptures as a means of determining God's will. It was practiced by the Israelites in the Old Testament. It was also practiced by other countries in the ancient Near East as a form of superstition. Although it's not clear how lots were cast, many scholars believe it is the modern-day equivalent of flipping a coin or rolling dice. Not, it's not a recommended way of discerning God's will, by the way. So I, I don't, don't, you know, all right, well, God said I'm supposed to quit my job and you know, sell the house or... Whatever, don't, don't do that. But there are three consequences of sin in, this, in, in these verses, 7 through 10. Three things that we need to make sure we notice um, that are happening to Jonah so that we take sin seriously in our lives. A is this, uh, letter A, exposure of the sin. You see, one of the many lies the adversary tries to tell us when he's tempting us to sin is that nobody will find out. I won't tell anybody. He won't tell anybody or she won't. In another surprising example of irony, the Lord displays his sovereignty and his omniscience by using a bunch of pagans casting lots to expose Jonah's sin. Jonah forgot what David had written in Psalm 139, verse 7, where David acknowledges, Where shall I go from your spirit, Lord? Where shall I flee from your presence? And the answer to those rhetorical questions in Psalm 139 is, Nowhere. There's nowhere you can go. 
There are several references in Scripture about the Lord exposing sin. He exposes it so that we will come to repentance and get right with Him. He exposes it so we can be set free from the guilt and shame of sin that separates us from Him. He exposes our sin because He loves us. And He knows that sin's not good for us. Over the years, uh, you probably have seen many news stories of celebrities, athletes, you know, athletes that use steroids and it comes out years later, or maybe had adulterous relationships and it comes out years later. Whenever that happens, I try to use that illustration on the news as a way to remind my kids, hey, look at this guy, look at that celebrity, look at that athlete. Nobody's getting away with anything. That, that guy, he's rich, he's wealthy, he's famous, and look what came out about his life. Look, look at this guy. He was uh, one particular athlete, baseball player, I remember was so guilty that he needed to clear his conscience after <clears throat> his career was done that he admitted he had used performance-enhancing drugs. And I remember pointing out to my kids, look, even if God doesn't expose it, some people are so miserable with their sin they can't live with it anymore. They got to come clean. Finally, because the guilt is too much for him. So why sin? Don't do it. Notice, besides the exposure of sin, the next thing that happens in verses 8 and 9, letter B, is this. Jonah also suffered from a compromised witness. He's supposed to be pointing people to the Lord and leading them to the Lord. But instead, the pagan sailors say, where do you come from? What's your country and who are you? Jonah's name, and this is a big deal in Hebrew culture, his name means dove. And of course, the dove is a symbol for peace. His father's name, Amittai, which is mentioned in verse 1, means faithful and truthful. This is a big deal in Hebrew culture because living up to your own name and your family name was very important to them. But Jonah wasn't doing that. And to make matters worse, the prophet had brought a curse on the ship instead of a blessing. And in a similar fashion, when we claim to know Jesus Christ, or we talk about going to church with our coworkers and our neighbors or unbelieving relatives, but then fail to live out our faith, the adversary uses that to give ammunition to unbelievers to go hypocrisy. You say you're a Christian, look at you. Look at how you act. And so our hypocrisy becomes an excuse not to accept Christ. So Jonah had compromised his witness. Here's another uh, result or uh, consequence of his sin. Innocent people were suffering. In verse 10, the sailors or the captain says, what is this you've done? You can see the shock. You can hear it leaping off the page. Once they realize that the reason we're going through this storm that is worse than any storm we've ever seen, the reason we had to toss the cargo overboard, which is how we're going to make our money when we arrive at our destination, is because this prophet, this man of God, is running from God. It's his fault, yet we're suffering as a result. Here's another irony. The ship's crew understood the seriousness of Jonah's sin more than Jonah did. Another lie that the evil one likes to tell us about sin is that it won't hurt anybody. You see, I mentioned earlier, he says, don't worry, you won't get caught. Well, the other lie that the evil one tells us when he's tempting us with sin is that it won't hurt anybody. Just go ahead. But we can see here in this story that Jonah's rebellion had a ripple effect on these innocent sailors. This, this means that husbands can't cheat on their wives without it negatively affecting their sons and the rest of the family. Wives can't be unsubmissive to their husbands without it affecting their daughters and how their daughters will grow up and treat their husbands someday. It means employees can't steal from the company and have it not affect the co-workers when the company comes down with harder stricter rules with less freedom because employees can't be trusted. And so those that did have integrity at the company have to live under great scrutiny as though they have no integrity because of the one employee that lied or stole. There's a ripple effect to sin. It does affect others. 
So, an application that comes to mind, allow the long-term consequences to take the pleasure out of sinning. Allow the long-term consequences to take the pleasure out of sinning. When you're being tempted to sin, try and train your brain to think down the road. What's going to happen if I do this? And don't lie to yourself. And don't let the adversary lie to you. Think about what will happen. What the consequences will be. And those can be a great deterrent in the moment that you're being tempted. But sadly, every day the adversary tricks naive people into believing the delayed consequences of sin are worth the immediate satisfaction that it offers. But it's never worth it. It's never worth it. Never. So, Jonah had his sin exposed, he compromised his witness, and he caused innocent people to suffer. Let's look back at verse 11 and finish out the story here, or this chapter, excuse me. So they said to him, What shall we do with you? That the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. That's a tongue twister right there to say. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Tempestuous. Maybe that's how I'm supposed to say it. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's number four, the final point on your outline. The Lord will get his way at the end of the day. In yet another display of irony, the sailors needed to be saved from Jonah. And Jonah needed to be saved from himself. One of the repeated themes that we see show up in the book of Jonah is the doctrine of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is his governing, guiding hand in the glove of history. It's his hand on the steering wheel of time, working to accomplish what he wishes. We see here in these final verses of chapter 1 that God uses his power over nature and creation to see that his plans are achieved. No matter how hard the sailors rode, the ship was not going anywhere until Jonah was overboard. I learned about this truth, or at least I got a taste of this truth when I was 10 years old and headed back to school. My school system required me to get immunizations uh, in a physical before entering the fifth grade. And after the doctor was done with the physical, he left and he sent in this uh, nurse into my uh, patient room with a needle uh, about the size of a sniper rifle. She told me I needed to drop my drawers and take a shot in my hindquarters. Now, at the age of 10, I don't know about you, but I'm just speaking for myself here, uh, although I didn't have hair on my chest at that age, I did have my man card, though, and um, didn't want to lose it that day in the doctor's office. So I pushed back and I said, no thanks, I'll just take it right there in the arm. Or if you would prefer this gun, we can go with this one here. So she repeated that I would need to bend over and take the shot in my hindquarters. And, well, I countered again with, no thanks, that's okay, I'm not a little kid anymore, and uh, I'll just take it in my arm. Just choose which bicep you like, okay? Well, 
having been experienced in dealing with 10-year-old men, and yes, I said that, 10-year-old men, I remember the nurse saying, well, young man, we can do this the easy way, or, you know the saying, right, the hard way. You can either, and this is like, you know, choose what's behind door number one, or what's behind door number two, right? <laughs> you can either uh, drop your pants and bend over on your own, or behind door number two, I can go get the doctor and a few other nurses, and we can make you do it. So as I contemplated my options, I realized, and I was at a point, that I didn't want to take the doctor away from other kids that were really sick that day and needed care, because I, you know, I was healthy. And so I thought, you know, it would be selfish of me to have the doctor come back in here when there's sick, younger kids than me that need his assistance. So, so this one time, I'll make an exception to my rule about taking shots in the arm. My point is, is this. <laughs> like he did with Jonah, sometimes the Lord has to say to us, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. But we are going to do it my way. You can submit voluntarily or involuntarily to the Lord. But in the end, you will submit. And some of you, I know, have stories like I do of how he gets us to do that. So, our final application. Trust that the Lord has your best interest in mind. Trust that the Lord has your best interest in mind. Just as I had to trust that one time, that one exceptional time, that the nurse had my best interest in mind, that the shot from a sniper rifle would be good for me. We need to trust the sovereignty of a loving, good, and wise God by obeying whenever he calls, knowing that he is working to bless us, even when it looks like or feels like he's trying to curse us. We should obey the Lord right away because he always gets his way. I want to close with a story um, that uh, I was fascinated by as I was preparing this message. In 1743, an eight-year-old Londoner named Robert Robert. Robinson, excuse me, lost his father. Grieved by his father's passing, this bitter young man joined a street gang and pursued a life of drinking and gambling and hell-raising throughout his teen years. One day, he and his gang decided to play around and play games with a drunk gypsy by pouring liquor into her and then demanding that she tell her fortunes to them for free. As she pointed her finger at Robinson, she told him he would live to see his children and his grandchildren. Now, that doesn't seem like a profound prophecy. However, the Holy Spirit pricked his heart that day, his hard heart, and caused him to realize, if I'm going to see my children and grandchildren someday, then I need to change the way I'm living. I can't continue like I'm going now. Not long after this, the 17-year-old Robinson decided to go hear the popular evangelist George Whitfield preach. In order to disguise this conviction and the pricking the spirit on his heart, uh, he persuaded his fellow gang members to go with him to this revival meeting and disguised it as, let's go and heckle all those Methodists and, and you know, make it hard for Whitfield to get through to them. However, after Whitfield preached the gospel that day, Robinson left under more conviction that lasted another three years. 
Finally, at the age of 20, Robert Robertson repented of his sin and by faith trusted in Christ alone for his salvation. And not longer after this, he was called into full-time ministry and became the pastor of a large Baptist church in Cambridge, England at a very young age. About two years after his conversion in 1757, Robinson penned the words to one of the most popular hymns of all time, Come, Thou Fount of Every Blessing. The lyrics go like this. Come, thou fount, which is an English term used in the 18th century for a fountain of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. And because of the grace and the mercy, it calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the name, I'm fixed upon it, name of thy redeeming love. In verse 2, Robinson expresses how he daily feels indebted to the Lord for the grace that he's been shown through Jesus Christ. And so he writes, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. You heard me talk about this a few weeks ago. In order to understand God's grace, you have to understand your sin and depravity, and that should make us feel in debt to him as opposed to God owes me something. Well, Robinson got it when he wrote this song. He then asked the Lord to bind his own heart to God's goodness like a fetter. A fetter was a chain placed around the ankle to restrain a prisoner. Thus, Robinson knowing his own depraved heart, said, I, I, I want to be so connected to your goodness, God, just lock me up with a chain because I'm so stubborn and proud and sinful, I will leave good things from you. But I don't want to do that. So put a shackle around my ankle and chain me to you so I don't leave you. That's what it means. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, Bind my wandering heart to thee. Then Robinson acknowledges his own rebellious sin nature and vulnerability to temptation by passionately declaring these verses. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take it and seal it, meaning... Again, I, I, I know I'm going to leave you. I'm prone. I feel the tug of temptation and sin, but take my heart and seal it so it doesn't leave. Seal it for thy courts above. Glue it to you, Lord. Come thy fount of every blessing. You may have been born to run, but God made it possible for you to run to him by being born again through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. If you need prayer or you have questions about how to have a relationship with Jesus, I'm available after the end of the service. Would you join me as we close in prayer? And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I really, really, really want to encourage you to not procrastinate doing business with the Lord. If he has been tugging on your heart and speaking to you, please don't walk away from this moment. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to close by singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I just want to let you know that if you feel led by the Spirit to come forward, you may do so. If you want to kneel down here at the steps and pray, you can do so. If you want to recommit your life to Christ, if you 
need to repent of something, if you need prayer, I'll be down here waiting for you. Father, thank you for the story of Jonah. Jonah gives us hope, Lord, because he's human like us. He's somebody that we're going to learn here in the next couple of weeks that you use profoundly. But he's also profoundly flawed like us. Some of us here, Lord, can testify to being prone to wander. Some of us here, Lord, have been angry at you, disappointed in you, and have run from you, trying to escape your presence. And yet, Lord, what we see here and we see in other passages of Scripture is that there is nowhere we can go to outrun you. So, Father, please, would you speak to hearts this morning? Would you gently but lovingly and firmly encourage those that have been running? Would you help them to stop running? Father, would you put your arm around them and remind them just how much you love them and how you have better for them than what they've chosen? And Lord, for those that maybe feel constrained or trapped where they are and they don't understand what you're doing, they haven't run, but they wish they could run, would you encourage them and let them know that you are with them, that you are working, and that you have good plan for them? And finally, Lord, for those that have not yet trusted in Christ for their salvation. Father, please, would you reveal Jesus to them? Would you bring them to faith in Christ? Would you help them to see that they are a sinner separated from you? Yet through Christ, in faith in Christ, they can be reconciled to you, have peace with you, have forgiveness, and have the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord for making that possible through your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.